0: Только all right, boys and girls, we're uh, going to proceed on here in Isaiah chapter four. We're going to do about another hour, hour and five minutes, and then we'll break for supper. We'll have a little longer break uh, at the meal times, and uh, so that'll be uh, un- undoubtedly uh, appealing to a certain appetites. But in the meantime, let's see if we can uh, concentrate on this. You've done an excellent job. Great comments. Good attention. It's really exciting. I uh, really am glad you're here. Uh, It's one of those deals where it's kind of uh, overwhelming to me because, you know, in other contexts, I might spend all of my breaks talking to you. Or you, or you, or you, are you? But here now, it's everybody. You know, and that's really weird. So hopefully we'll get some time and some longer breaks that I can actually talk for a while with different ones. I'd love that. And uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to do that with each other, which is uh, really enjoyable as well. Chapter 4. Um, Do you see how we've alternated? Chapter 1 was judgment, then the first part of chapter 2, the blessing in the last days, then more judgment. And now we're coming to another blessing passage. We're alternating. Isaiah, as the prophets generally were, is a balanced preacher. He preaches both the hope and the punishment. So, chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. In that
1: day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. And it will come about that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst, <coughs> and the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her assemblies, Cloud by day, even snow, and the brightness of the flame, fire by night. For all over the glory will be a canopy. There will be a shelter to give shape from the heat by day, and refuge and protection from the storm and the rain.
0: This is clearly a blessing passage in that day. There are some details that are a bit more difficult to be sure about. He says, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. Now, this is kind of a contrast to what we've seen, the human effort at manufacturing their own beauty versus God providing a beautiful and glorious branch. But the question is, what does this branch refer to? There are several possibilities, but what do you think? Jesus. That's my choice, although I'm comfortable with some other possibilities as well. Uh, My preference would be Jesus' branch is a messianic term. Uh, Zechariah 6, among some other passages, uses it that way. Um, And I think the idea is, if this is talking messianically, that you have the nation of Israel sort of cut down. It's like a tree that's chopped down and then new growth a new branch comes forth to give blessing and hope to God's people again and this branch is beautiful glorious it's the pride and adornment of the survivors of Israel they don't need to adorn themselves with their own manufactured efforts to become beautiful God is providing them with the true beauty and the true glory here that's I think what you see and uh those who are beautified, those who are blessed by God, how are they in verses 3 and 4? What would you say about them? They're holy. Remember, God is holy. We're going to see that especially when we come to the section in chapter 6 that relates Isaiah's call. But his people are holy people. God is not especially concerned about us being happy. But he very much wants us to be holy. And to make them holy, what does God do? Forget them. He washes them. He washes them with what? Purges them with what?
2: Spirit of judgment
0: and burning? Yes. So God purges them. He, he uses the judgment even as a purging, purifying thing to burn off the, the wickedness and leave them pure and righteous. The word spirit, both in Old and New Testament, is the same word as wind. One word means both. So this may be, he does it by the wind of judgment and the wind of burning. You can certainly see it either way. That you would like uh, that that can go either direction. Comments and thoughts to verse four.
2: <coughs> like how says everyone in verse three, everyone who is recorded for life. Again, a consistent theme
0: throughout the Bible. Definitely, yes, yes. Those who who have their name, so to speak, on God's record book as the ones who will gain life. Yes. <clears throat> this is what God's trying to do through the branch. He wants to beautify. He purges and purifies and makes holy His people. He ma- he, he makes them able to receive His blessings and blessings He gives. In verse five, what does He give them? <coughs> His presence his presence expressed by a cloud by day and mind you of anything yeah the wilderness wandering the exodus how God expressed his his presence uh, notice it says then the Lord will create over this these things in verse 5 the verb create is a verb used I believe only of God's activity in the Old Testament. So God will provide his presence and his guidance. And he provides what in verse 6? Shelter. Shelter, yes. From the heat and the Whatever the circumstances God protects, he provides a refuge. It is so much better to seek God's will. Chapter 3, the women trying to provide for themselves, beautify themselves, etc. Chapter 2, the men trying to exalt themselves. But that's not at all what you want. This is so much better. It's God purifying, purging, exalting, providing His presence, His leadership, and providing His protection and His shelter. Comments and questions?
3: I'm going to say, in um, time about cleansing and the spirit of burning and all that. Look at 1 Peter talks about not only the baptism cleansing us and making us holy but also the trials, sufferings um, as kind of the the image of fire burning us and making us um, purer and more holy than we were. So those two things are kind of another tool God uses today to make us holy like he was doing. Definitely, yes. Can you explain more the end of verse 5?
4: about over all the glory there
0: would be a canopy? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure that I know the answer to that. Um, Some people think that this may be a uh, contrast with verse 1, where they were seeking to um, provide a husband for themselves, and that this is talking about a bridal canopy. That God was going—he was going to provide a marriage to Himself in place of their desperate efforts efforts to marry. But I'm not sure if that's true or not. If it's not, though, I'm not sure exactly what He's saying. So,
5: is that the canopy that He's going to create over the whole area of Mount Zion? Is that the same, or, or is it another? Well, I don't know. I thought I saw it as the same one. The Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion over a cloud, okay. smoke, and flaming fire for, and he's repeating, for over all the glory, the branch and all his people and everything will be a canopy. Okay. That would perhaps be another possibility that makes sense.
0: Sarah? What are
6: the other options for the
0: branch of the Lord? The other options would be that it refers to uh, the faithful remnant, that they're the branch that God is going to make glorious and beautiful and um, or that he refers to actually the land's fruitfulness, that he will provide it with prolific uh, branch, you know, tree, fruit, um, and and th- both of those are reasonable explanations. They're neither one far-fetched, but I do think, I think that the balance tips slightly in favor of the Messiah as being the branch. It could be more than one maybe could be the remnant culminating in the
5: Messiah certainly those two would fit could fit together at least the pattern would fit more than one possibility yes
4: do people who go either way on the definition of the branch consistently hold that through the book
0: Mm, well I don't know if the branch is ever used in Isaiah again is it I don't think so <clears throat> yeah, but it's not. that's a little different. that's the shoes instead of the branch
7: Yeah.
0: I don't know that they would necessarily deny that Jeremiah or Zechariah were talking about the Messiah so. it might even be but I wouldn't press this one but it's a curious idea if he says the branch of the Lord and parallels it with the fruit of the earth could that be Jesus coming from God and from man? Uh, you know, how can David's son be David's Lord? I think that's a possibility as well, but I don't know. Chapter 4 is a little bit more difficult, I think. There's a few more little wrinkles in this that are hard to be sure about exactly
8: what he's saying. Yes, Michael. I was just going to say, uh, we were talking earlier about how even God's... Uh, um, correction uh, is motivated by a desire to see us um, improve and uh, cleanse. And kind of continuing what Daniel was saying a second ago, it seems like maybe sometimes I mean following it, uh, experiencing God's correction isn't always pleasant. It can be a pretty frightening, pretty frightening thing. But uh, and I think maybe that's why Sometimes we have trouble um, getting out of the rut of doing something sinful. uh, Is that we don't want to face it. It can be unpleasant. Uh, But I I, I really like the picture that chapter 2 and chapter 4 paint of the result of God's cleansing work and just how what a beautiful exciting thing it is to be part of God's the people and God's Absolutely. Yeah, John. Which matches what the Hebrew
2: writer said when he said that God disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness.
7: Good point. Jamie, but Jamie. There's
2: something with the fruit
4: here, the fruit of the land should be the pride and honor of the survivors, with that being talking about the, the result and results, of their actions like in three, uh, where's the fruit? Three, ten. They, the righteous will for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Is there a connection there with they shall look, take of the, the result, the end of their their deeds, which is this fruit that is good?
6: Yeah,
0: maybe. Although here um, it it seems to be coming from God the branch and the fruit that he makes them um, beautiful with Uh, so I don't know (coughs) yeah
3: I'm sorry what does yours say
0: at 11.1 mine says a branch mine says
1: a shoot and a branch
7: from his roots that's a good point yeah
0: so may, I, I I don't know if that's the same word, but it might be.
1: It's not, uh,
4: the same word is King Bud. But it's another the Okay.
7: Okay. But
4: it's not. Kind a technical question, but what's the significance of breaking from poetry into prose? Which, before this, has only been when he says, the Lord says, or this is the vision that I saw, or, or you know, is, is there any significance to that, or is it just... Probably not a
0: whole lot. Some of that is also our perception. You know, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily think that you couldn't write chapter 4 in poetry
4: right well I mean the figurative language certainly doesn't
0: stop so you know I mean that's almost a translator thing whether or not they want to consider it poetry or prose this is this is essentially poetic in chapter 4 as well in my judgment it's not a narrative like we're going to have in some other passages in Isaiah
4: that's what I asked about it it just seemed kind of out of place to suddenly breaking the prose there it might be better if it was set out as poetry
0: <coughs> I hadn't really thought about it but yeah I mean it's certainly very symbolic and uh, I don't know I, I suspect it would be as easily seen as poetry as it would prose good good question anything else on chapter 4 so
1: the cloud and the fire verse 5
0: Indicate and maybe his guidance. Okay. Anything else? All right. Look at chapter five. Uh, five is a little bit more concrete, maybe, and I think uh, fairly easy to uh, pick up on several uh, interesting applications as well. Would somebody read one to seven? <coughs>
7: Let me sing now for my love beloved the song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My love beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around and moved its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now what happens to Jerusalem and men of Judah? Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove this hedge, and it will be I will break down this wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyards of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold the of distress. Isaiah
0: is singing a song about his beloved. A song about the vineyard of his beloved. Now his well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. And what does his, did his well-beloved do for this vineyard? Everything. Yeah, that's pretty much it. How many verbs of blessing for the vineyard do you have in the first two he did what he so, dug and cleared. removed or cleared and planted and built, built and hewed <laughs> out all right so he did five different things to see to it that he took the best of care for this vineyard he did everything you could ever want to do for a vineyard he did he provided lavishly for this vineyard to be uh, you know, just cared for in the very best way. And what was he hoping for? Yeah, good grapes. Like grapes? Yeah. Sour ones? No, we want good ones. That's what he wanted. But, the vineyard produced what kind? Worthless. It tasted terrible. Bad when you do all this work and every grape's sour. So, the case is presented to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah as if they were sort of the jury to decide between the well-beloved and the vineyard. Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? You know, he's sort of calling the court into session and saying, you know, you judge, tell me. Did I fail my vineyard? Was it my fault? And uh, he goes ahead and uh, more or less tells what he's going to do. So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. Well, look at the verbs. I will do what? I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. I, I, I he will cause it not to be pruned or road so the fires and thorns come up and I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it so five verbs of punishment and uh, maybe you didn't know who the beloved was until you get to the end of verse 6 what gives that away?
1: it kind of says
7: it what, what? it says it
6: it says for the
0: vineyard of the Lord. <laughs> well, yeah, in 7, but what, what gives it away already in 6? Oh, clouds. Clouds. Yeah. Just who else could tell the clouds not to send rain on the vineyard? So clearly the vineyard owner, the well-beloved, is the Lord. And he gives that explicitly in verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. This is kind of like, Nathan, you are the vineyard in this case. Because God had gone to great lengths to care for and provide for and bless his people. And what was he wanting from them? Good fruit. And what did they give him? Bad fruit he looked for justice but behold bloodshed for righteousness but behold a cry of distress actually if you read Hebrew I understand those are sort of puns in Hebrew tons of puns in the poetry of the prophets unfortunately it's hard for us to get the same thing out of it but I'll give you one possibility to just kind of give you the flavor for it then he looked for uh, measures like measures of justice he looked for measures but low massacres he looked for right, and behold, riot. Gives you the idea. So, um, they didn't give what God was looking for, and they didn't correspond to all the work he'd invested in this vineyard. Comments and questions? Satan. I
9: understand the, my well-loved being God and the vineyard being the people, but... On a very beautiful <clears throat> hill, what does he mean by that? Does he mean
0: they're harsh? What does he mean? Well, maybe just a good place for vineyards to grow. So
9: they
0: said, does it symbolize something? I say no. Now, people could make any of these symbolize something. But my take on one and two is that this is parable imagery. We've always got that debate. You know, you, you give an illustration. Are there specific things that the... the you know, details in the illustration refer to or not. Could be. But sometimes it's just sort of imagery to give you the idea of the parable. My take on 1 and 2 is this is imagery related to the vineyard. Matt?
9: Jesus retells this as a parable later on uh, in Luke chapter 20. And the way he kind of twists it is that it's the ruler's fault. It's the Pharisees and the temple leaders. It's their fault that he didn't produce good fruit. He tells
0: yes, he does. Yes, I think that's exactly right, that Jesus sort of takes off on this story in that, in that parable of the vineyard. Vine growers, whatever you want to call it. <coughs> All
4: right, other comments, questions? Right. I'm just looking back over Israel's history and see everything that God did, he, he led them out of Egypt, he kept them from the um, Egyptians chasing them, he led them, he gave them amazing leaders, he gave them judges, he gave them law, he spared them so many times when he could completely righteously destroy them, sending um, judges after judges to, to bring them back after they had left God. And so he can just look back, he can just reason to and tell look back, tell me why I didn't do I should have done.
5: Yeah, that principle applies again. When he sent Jesus, he did everything for us, prepared everything that we need. We can't go back at the end and say, well, you know, it wasn't on a fertile hill or you didn't dig all around it or you didn't provide. We have it. He did everything. He did more than (laughs) necessary. And if you'd have done all that and the vineyard only produced rotten grapes, how would you
0: feel? cheated. You know how frustrating. You did everything just right. You went above and beyond in taking care of your vineyard. And look at what it did. It is outrageous. I believe the jury is going to render a verdict in favor of the vineyard owner if they have any justice
8: about them at all. Especially since these grapes had a choice of whether to be run. or... uh, Yeah, well, you know... uh, Kind of like, uh,
0: you know, some uh, fables and so forth. The animals actually talk and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. So, yes, they kind of uh, merge the uh, parable with the reality sometimes. Well, what he's going to do here, I think, is just give us a sample of these rotten grapes, and let us see for ourselves how bad they are. This is perhaps not a full inventory, but it will give us a taste, and not a very pleasant one. Uh, You can look at verses 8 to 23. I prefer to divide these up. There's several ways to organize this. And, you know, I don't know that one's all that better than another. But I I will just divide it up the simplest way. And I'll take each of the woes as being sort of another grape that we're sampling.
4: So, 8 to 10. Woe to those who join house to house or accumulate houses. They add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In my hearing, the Lord of hosts said, Truly many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones, without inhabitant. For ten acres of
9: vineyards shall yield one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield one ephah. So, he is giving a woe to those who
0: add house to house and join field to field. What's bad about that? Line up some acreage.
9: Good. Really, it's at, it's at the expense of God. How so? Well, if you're focused on you know, material things and earthly things, you're, you're not focused on heavenly
0: well, things. That's a point. I think you can make that a little stronger in a
4: way. Well, they're probably evicting people from the ways they're buying and begin the mistreatment of the poor
9: and misfortunate.
4: Possibly, but he doesn't really say that here. <laughs>
9: I'm, I'm kind of thinking of Haggai where a similar situation happened. They were building their house. And they forgot to build the temple. And so God says, "Give me a famine because you've, you've you you forgot me in places. I
0: mean, that's good. Right? I'm just not sure that's so much his point here. Maybe it's related. What does it mean by until there is no more room? Well, I suppose until
2: they bought up everything, basically. They were to leave some of the produce and such like that for the poor and for those to come along and glean. Is that tied in with this for
0: him? I don't think so. Okay. But something is. We're forgetting about something, sir.: I
2: was thinking about the land
6: inheritance, that each tribe and each clan and each family had a piece of land. And you could buy and sell the land, but it wasn't yours in the end. So if you're accumulating all of this, you're trying to take the land from the brothers.
1: Yes.
0: Yes. I think that's the idea. God was the ultimate owner of the land. He allotted it to various families. They could long-term lease it until Jubilee, but they couldn't sell it. But these land-hungry, greedy uh, people are buying up houses and lands that they had no right to buy up because they didn't belong to them, they were given by God to other families. So I think it is that they're greedy, but they're subverting the order of the allotment of the land. That's what I think the problem is, and the punishment is sort of appropriate, was the punishment. Uh, there, there won't be anybody in them. You know, they buy up, buy up the houses, but they'll be gone and won't get to inhabit them. And the fields?
2: They don't yield.
0: Yes. So they don't really have the chance to enjoy their ill-gotten game. Jerusalem becomes a ghost town. Because they have been too greedy, so what they have is taken away. That's the way I prefer to read that. You can think about it. Comments and thoughts on anything through 10? It's a
6: scripture reference from how much of the
0: Bible Well, yeah. There's lots of scripture references. I mean, I would go back to Joshua 13 and following with the division of the land. But I'll tell you the example that particularly uh, this reminds me of in the Old Testament that may be good to remember. Do you remember anybody else? A more specific person who tried to some land he had no business to yes. yes who tried to buy that ahab. ahab and naboth wouldn't sell it because well he shouldn't sell it it's the family property that god allotted to them and of course in ahab's case he sulked and jezebel did what <laughs> she yeah how did she go about doing it <laughs> Had Naboth killed with some uh, erroneous charges? Not only Naboth was killed. Who else? His sons. Second Kings 9:26, if I'm not mistaken. So, kill off Naboth and his heirs nobody's left in the family <laughs> Ahab, Ahab goes down and takes possession of course he meets his arch enemy Elijah down there and the rest is history but um, you know that's the idea of the sacred uh, inheritance of the land that should not be sold to someone else
5: <clears throat> that story is First Kings 21 yes. Seven, you can't even enjoy your You'll gotten gained.
4: <laughs> it's a bummer. John? Uh, is there something in the, in the uh, law that really demonstrates that to the people who say, you know, just that this is your land, not something to be sold?
0: Well, one of the things are the provisions of the Jubilee in Leviticus 25 that relate to how you can't really sell it. You just sell a number of crops until the Jubilee. So you're really just leasing it. That's what we'd call that.
7: This reminds me of a passage later in Isaiah 63 This seems to me to be a reference later in Ephesians 4 I think about grieving the Holy Spirit and the idea of being there that we've revolted that we got rebel against God and rebelled against Him and He's blessed us so abundantly and now we're not using any of these blessings to His glory. And that idea here is presented
0: with, with the idea of the fertilization and the of keeping it. We're not doing anything
7: with
1: this person. Other thoughts? Well, how about 11 to 17? <coughs> <coughs> Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, and tarry late in the evening as wine and flame them. They have lyre, and harp, tambourine, and food, and wine at their feast, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord, or see the work of His hands. Therefore My people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore Sheol has enlarged its appetite, and opened its mouth beyond measure, and the nobility of Jerusalem and the multitude will go down, for revelers and he who exalts in them. Man is humbled, and his one is brought low, and
6: the eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture, and no man shall eat among the ruins of the rich.
0: Well, what's the woe for here?
6: Excessive drinking and bargaining?
0: Yes these people are well I really appreciate them in the end of verse 11 or uh, first part of verse 11 actually they rise early in the morning don't you Don't you like people who get up early <laughs> what's getting them out of bed so early another drink wow and then they stay awake late at night to drink some more and uh, their banquets are just partied up lyre, harp, tambourine, flute and wine you know pretty much take some alcohol at any of their uh, um, you know parties to really get things you know happy and, and all that but that's what you see is these people who are focused on pleasure leisure activities more and more revelry and carousing and wine and uh, they're just having a great old time Well, God is not too impressed why not not only because they're drinking, but also because... you disregard him all together. Absolutely. They totally ignore him. Don't even pay attention. Don't consider him. Which is what happens. You get this fun-loving, pleasure-crazed party society, and it squeezes God and his ways out. And that's the danger in our culture that is so focused on... Just having a good time and making your health self happy in the short run at all costs. It ends up that you have nothing left to give God.
3: The, the thing that's so dangerous about that is that we can do things that aren't looked upon as bad. We can do things, well maybe we're not partying. We're not staying up late and getting up early just so we can drink some more. Maybe we're not doing those things, but we can get so caught up in doing things that are not wrong in and of themselves that it turns out to be that way and it, it's such a danger in just participating in these things because they're so easy to get caught up in so I don't think it's necessarily condemning just the fact that they were drinking but rather like Daniel said, just the fact that they're forgetting everything about God and that's our ultimate purpose and we can, it's so easy to get caught up in that.
0: yes it really is it's, but, it, but it kind of goes together Right, yeah, exactly. Other thoughts about 11 and 12? Isn't it interesting how the punishment usually fits the crime? What happens to these people? They lose everything. They lose it all, and... Not appropriate for a uh, heavily drinking society. And what else happens? They
4: eventually
0: die. Yes, by Sheol opening up its mouth and devouring Jerusalem's splendor, multitude, revelry, and jubilation. You know, you see these who were constantly opening their mouth to drink... Swallowed up by a more insatiable thirst than their own. And I don't know about this, but think about this one. When it says in the end of verse 14, Jerusalem's splendor, her multitude, her din of revelry, and the jubilant within her descend into it. I see a picture of the party in full blossom just sort of descending in that mode right into death. And Hades. And it makes me think about something. That I think is true. Even if this passage isn't the one to prove it. And it may it may be. But I think that. When people die. Their character doesn't change. This party mentality. Of these people. That's what's swallowed right into Sheol. I, I particularly like. The story of the rich man and Lazarus. As an illustration of that. That may not be the main point of the parable, but I think it's it's a valid point. That rich man, how how do you see him after he dies? What's he thinking about? His thirst and his family. And how's he looking at Lazarus? Send him to get a drink and some water. Send him to warn my brothers. I don't think he changed anything. The the horrible thing about hell is there's going to be a bunch of rotten people who are still rotten that are there. You know, I don't think their character ever changes. That's what it looks to me like. And so, these people who are party animals end up descending into death. God showing himself wholly in his judgment. And you see just, you know... Uh, grazing ground where they used to party. Comments and questions? Well, you've got a bunch of them here in the next section, 18 to 23.
2: Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood and sin as if with cart ropes who say Let him make speed, let him hasten his work, that we may see it. And let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass, that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine, and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe, and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. So, look at these woes. Verses
0: 18 and 19. What are they doing in 18?
4: Are they dragging sin?
7: Yes.
0: Well, that's a weird picture. What do you see in that?
7: They're challenging God.
0: They are doing that in 19. What do you see in 18?
4: The mm, Maybe. <laughs> 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 maybe they have so many they have to have a cart that they pull. That's an interesting idea. Like a pet?
1: Mm, I don't know. This as is as how they live. It's they're dying it, I guess. They're forcing themselves too soon.
0: Yes, I view these as hardworking sinners. They strain and struggle to sin. I mean they drag it around. They're so attached to it. They'll go to all lengths to make sure they've got as much sin with them as they can. You know, that that's the picture I see in that. They it's all very cynical, almost sarcastic. You know, they they they'll they just do anything to get to get sin. And then they look at the Lord and what do they say? Bring it on. <laughs> yes. I think so. Almost daring God to punish them. Let <laughs> it make speed. Let him hasten his work. See it. Let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel near and come to pass that we may know it. He's gonna punish us. Hey, bring it on. That's horrible. Man, that is frightening. The arrogance and the pride. The stupidity of challenging God to punish. Do you see why the Lord was not pleased with these grapes? Whoa. And in 20 what were they doing? Yeah. Inverting moral values. <laughs> we do that all the time. We've got to where. Right is wrong and wrong is right. In everything. It's amazing. You know, I mean, it's right to avoid pretending anymore. Be honest with your emotions and just have the affair you're wanting to have. You know, that, that's the virtuous thing. You know, be yourself. And the, the wrong thing is to actually rebuke sin is to actually take a stand on morality. We, we've done very much what they've done. I mean, we've euphemized every sin and called it something that sounds good. You know, it's not pro-life and pro-death. It's pro-life and pro-choice. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And all that kind of stuff. And it's amazing what we've done. <laughs> and in 21, and what were they doing? What well, What was their attitude? measuring themselves by themselves and how did they measure up pretty good yeah man they they really prided themselves on that you know wise in their own eyes clever in their own sight prideful pride 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 you see that constantly condemned in isaiah this if nothing else this book ought to humble us and 22 and 23 uh, what are these heroes good at Liquor. Yeah, if there were certificates or medals for that. They'd they'd be uh, you know champions. Uh, it's their only area of expertise. They can they can hold a lot of a lot of alcohol before they go under the table. Um, and 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 actually, apparently they are are judges or leaders because in their drunken stupor they justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. These are horrible grapes no wonder after all that time and energy the Lord was sick to death with the outrageous behavior of this vineyard
2: Logan I think when verse 21
1: is talking about those who sort are of lies in their own eyes I really think that we really try, we can measure up righteous if we find someone bad enough to compare ourselves to because I think there's a lot of us that try to compare ourselves to somebody like Saddam Hussein or some, Osama bin Laden say, well, we're doing really good.
0: We always pick somebody worse than us if we try to make a comparison, don't we? We,
1: we just, we never choose somebody that's, we never choose a goal real high, it seems like. We always uh, just look at somebody lower than us and say, well, I'm doing pretty good, I don't need to change. Good
7: point.
3: Other comments? It's interesting how often in Scripture uh, alcohol is equated with the lack of justice. I think of like Proverbs thirty-one, where a king shouldn't <coughs> the to drink lest he forget what he decreed.
0: And even Leviticus ten, where I think Nadab and Abihu may well have been drunk when they offered the strange fire, and the priests were commanded not to partake of strong drink. Yes, sir.
6: Did I like that there are six worms?
0: Yes, that's the way I count. Six
9: nine. Uh, um really two things. One's a question, one comment. Uh, uh again in verse eighteen, these
0: people they go out of their way to sin? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they, they 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 really uh they they spare no effort. It's really virtuous out
7: there, don't you think? You,
9: uh, have you heard of hard-working Dil <laughs> diligent sinners. But, um,
2: I've
9: heard of um, also a comment that As we look through the whole of Isaiah I've really seen that every single mistake that the Israelites seem to have made and every single thing that the Lord says, you know, you're doing wrong, this our country is doing the exact same thing. How much longer is it gonna take for us to be judged as Israel was? That should be a warning sign to this.
0: Very good. Yes, John.
9: When we
4: see this disrespect that they're showing, I mean, in so many ways, the kind of bring-it-on attitude that they're having, you know, just calling God to, you know, do what He does, or, you know, just calling God out for Him, um, you know, I can't think of, you know, you know people like that, and the, the arrogance in that, and you wonder where it comes from, and I think it's just lack of knowledge of God. Um, and uh, in verse 13 it says, because they have no knowledge, which, which reminds us of uh, Hosea 4 and 6 where our know, people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. I think if you know more about God, you're going to be less likely to cross Him. I mean, you're going to know more about His power and
3: His wrath and His judgment, and you'll be more scared of Him and uh, hear God.
7: Good point. I right, agree. Dustin?
3: What I find uh, mainly so interesting about this last passage is really the language that he uses. He doesn't just, I guess, come out and say, well, um, the drunkard should be condemned or whatever. He's He goes so far as to point fun at them, to be completely sarcastic. The language that he uses against the drunkards who are heroes in drinking wine, the valiant men in mixing strong drinks, you don't make that connection valiant with mixing strong drinks or heroes in drinking wine, you wouldn't make that connection. He's being sarcastic about this. It's He's poking fun at them and pretty much calling them stupid and how you could possibly think that. And I guess an implication that you can have is that that's what people thought of them as. Is that they were heroes, they were able to do that and unfortunately you'll see sometimes in high schools, well this guy can drink more than anybody, let's hang out with them. It's, it's stupid. It's just how can you possibly get to that point and yet that's where they are.
0: It's bad when we praise wickedness and we look down on righteousness. It's that inversion of moral values where it's like, wow, what an amazing thing. Why would we make a hero out of that?
4: Yeah, Jeremy. This has been great. So far the whole day has been great. And a lot of really good comments. And I agree with everything that's been said about, you know, this is but America's going down. And, and yeah, all those drunks at school. But this is us. I mean, this... These are the people that knew enough about God's law to offer the sacrifices when they were supposed to be offered. These were the people that knew when the feasts were supposed to be held. They knew enough to know better. And what we're talking about is they didn't know God personally enough. And what he's describing is God's people. He's describing us. We may know, well I need to be at services on Sunday and I need to partake of the Lord's Supper on Sunday and this is the way God wants me to worship. But what he's talking about is a personally intimate relationship with Him that I love what John said about knowing more about God makes it less likely that I'll cross Him. Mm -hmm. He's talking about knowing God in a personal way that's going to keep me from being that way. Um,
0: Yeah, anytime we read the Bible we're looking in a mirror. Yes. Do we see ourselves?
4: And All these verses have applications know, far beyond the literal text. For example, verses 22 and 23 especially, I mean, really if you think about it, alcohol is just a way to distract yourself from life. The things you're supposed to do, I don't want to do that I'm going to get drunk. You can insert any other distraction in there. Woe to men who are really good at video games, yeah. you know? Woe to people who are really good at baseball yeah. and spend all their time doing that. Because they're they're wasting their lives, they're wasting their resources, doing something that is not gonna help them and when they do that they get a skewed perspective of reality and you focus exclusively on something that's not worth it and you justify the wicked for a bribe to take justice away from the righteous. It's amazing what we really want to be champions in, isn't it?
0: That's amazing. Sarah and then Dana. Um, hey Sarah.
6: beating this merch to death. Uh, the, hero, the heroes, the heroes and drinking wine and the valiant men and making strong drink, that made me think back to chapter three, where God took away their leaders, their heroes. They, this is this is what they had left to look up to. I mean, they couldn't look up to someone who was a mighty warrior for God's or any cause, but this is all they had. I, I think that might sort of play in there. This is all you got. So you're going to find you're going to reach for a hero of some kind to look up to uh, so that's why people today will look up to people who are really good at drinking wine and mixing some drink and not much else
7: yes, good point anybody else?
0: couldn't tell if you had your hand up or not uh, last section is predictable what would you expect to come next
2: <clears> the <throat> fire
0: yes 24 to 30
5: therefore as a tongue of fire consumes stubble and dry grass collapses into the flame so their root will become like rot and their blossom will blow away as dust for they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel On this account, the anger of the Lord has burned against his people, and he has stretched out his hand against them and struck them down. And the mountains quaked, and their corpses lay like refuse in the middle of the streets. For all this, his anger is not spent, but his hand is still stretched out. He will also lift up a standard to the distant nation, and will whistle for it from the ends of the earth, and behold, it will come with speed swiftly. No one in it is weary or stumbles, none slumbers or sleeps. Nor is the belt at its waist undone, nor its sandal strap broken. Its arrows are sharp, and all its bows are bent. The hooves of its horses seem like flint, and its chariot wheels like a whirlwind. Its roaring is like a lioness, and it roars like young lions. It growls as it seizes the prey, and carries it off with no one to deliver it. And it shall growl over in that day like the roaring of the sea. If one looks to the land, behold, there is darkness and distress. Even the light is darkened by its clouds. The
0: therefore of God's judgment, righteous judgment against sin. Therefore, what does God do? Fire. He burns them up, dries them up, blows them away. It's the anger of God that's burned against his people. He's stretched out his hand against them and struck them. And even with that, it says in the end of verse 25, for all this, his anger is not spent, but his hand is still stretched out. Just exactly how do you see God's hand still stretched out here? What does that mean? You
7: can't escape this
5: judgment.
0: There's more to come. Yes. Sometimes you see God's hand as a hand of blessing or a hand of, you know, entreaty. This is the hand ready to spank him again. You know, he's beaten them already and he's going to do it again. So this is, yes, he devastated them, but no, that's not all the punishment that's coming. It's going to get worse. So in verse 26, I love this. What does God do to get the army, the invincible army to come? Whistles <laughs> Whistles or lifts up the flag. And the army comes. What kind of army is this anyhow? The of the earth. Yes. Far far distant army? Ready. Very prepared. Fast fast. Speedy.
7: Okay.
0: Stamina. Loud. Yeah, loud. <coughs> Unstoppable. Yes, unstoppable,
7: disciplined,
0: you know, I mean, they march in rank, and they don't miss a beat ever. You know, this is a well-oiled military machine. You know, the arrows are sharp, the bows are bent. I mean, this is overwhelming devastation. You see an army like this coming at you, whoa, it's roaring like a lioness. It seizes the prey and carries it off with no one to deliver. There's darkness in the land because of God's judgments. That's a really powerful, powerful figure of devastating judgment in 24 to 30. Wow. All because the grapes weren't fit to eat. Because they did not bear righteous fruit, they treated God
2: outrageously. Comments and thoughts? So in this parable, is this distant nation to be identified, or is it just one that will do the bidding of God? I think it's one that does the
0: bidding of God. I think this is, there's probably no uh, nation's army that was ever quite this good. So I think this is almost the ultimate, ultimate, in armies to come against his people. In actual practice God used the Assyrians and he used the Babylonians and he used whoever he wanted to use but I think here we're just almost
5: seeing it abstractly In Revelation you have 200 million Yeah, fire breathing horses
0: you what? Yeah, that's right That's true too Yes Uh
9: you know, we we're looking in verse 18 and 19 about these people that go out of the way to stand and challenge God and say, where are you, you know, almost like bring it on. I wonder if people thinking after this punishment, you know. I wonder what their attitude was. Man.
0: Yeah, I know. They might have been a little too um, full of themselves. <laughs> a
9: little?
0: Yeah. Nathan?
3: It's also interesting considering that they're the far-off nations that they were so enamored with before. They're being destroyed by the very thing that they. Must it
0: after. Yes. You see that happening over and over again in the prophets. They're just picking their, uh, you know, paddle. <laughs> <laughs> Other comments and questions?
9: Yeah, I think Ahaz really really does what Nick was saying. Uh, to try to help himself out against the Assyrians, uh, kind of chapter seventy, help himself out against the Assyrians, he brings in the Assyrians
0: to help him out eventually. Yes. Exactly. Other comments, questions, thoughts? Alright, we're going to pause here and uh, I'll talk to you for a couple minutes. We've got about a little bit of time before we uh, actually eat, but this is a good stopping point.
7: So, uh, you want this? Um, Let me... I think what I'm going to do is tell you another result. Brazil-